Let's be seated. So we're looking at these six lies, these six, six things that Satan says. And uh, although it's always lies, everything he says is a lie, he often includes just enough truth to conceal it. And uh, he also likes to offer to us a false choice. This is where he sets up two different ideas, and he hopes that we'll assume if one of them is wrong, then the other one must be true. And lie number five is a great example of this, a lie with a little bit of truth in it and a false choice at the end. Be spiritual, just not religious. Now, it is true that we are called to be spiritual, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 5. Also true that religion has its flaws. God desires a broken and contrite heart, not a show. That's Psalm 51. So this idea, this lie, be spiritual and not religious, it sounds great, doesn't it? Sounds very interesting. A personal walk with God that works for you, but ditches all of the trappings and the irritations and the problems of formal church. But not all spirituality is good. Many spirits are evil. Likewise, not all religion is bad, and the collect for today says true religion brings hope through grace. So this is a tangled mess, this lie. It's a real skein of threads woven together, isn't it? Some half-truths and a false choice and ill-defined terms all bound up in one little phrase. And a few weeks ago, as we were planning this series and coming up with titles for each of the sermons each week, we had absolutely no idea just how popular this particular lie was going to turn out to be. So we came up with the phrase, spiritual, just, not religious, as a distillation of all sorts of things we've heard from our friends and, and families and people over the years, trying to bring together lots of data, experiences we've heard of people being burned out or just bored by church along with hundreds and hundreds of stories of people being wounded by religion. It's no exaggeration to say that about every two weeks, I hear a version of the exact same story. I hear it all the time, to the point that it now seems normative to me for people to have been hurt by the church. That seems to be the normal thing. The church has done a lot of harm. A lot of people talk to me about guilt and shame and fear. There's a lot of distrust about people who are dressed like I am. There's a lot of anger, I think, and rage at hypocrisy. And when they talk to me, I, I wonder why on earth they'd be telling a person like me, <laughs> given all of that. In part, and here's the glimmer of hope, I think it, there is something still deep within the heart of a human that yearns for a connection to something bigger than themselves. So commonly felt is this deep need for God. There is even now a recognized group in the United States with a name almost identical to the lie. Spiritual but not religious, S-B-N-R, is now a phrase used by one in five Americans to define where they stand. Now, it's a broad group, 
strange group indeed. The SBNR page on Wikipedia, you can look it up. It says that practices range from neo-paganism and nature worship, occultism, tarot and Ouija, through to centering mindfulness, meditation, magic, sci-fi, and the pursuit of UFOs. So it's basically all the posters you would ever find on any student bedroom wall, I think. It's that alien doing yoga, smoking a funny-shaped cigarette with a phrase underneath that says, take me to your dealer. It's that one. All right, we all had it. The Barna Research Group, this is a real Christian. Uh, they say that this strange non-group group of students uh, and all sorts includes many people that still hold onto mainstream theological positions as well. The only thing is they do them on their own. So this, this is a very broad collection of people. It might be one in five Americans, but it's a pretty broad group. And the only thing really they have in common, um, apart from doing stuff in the woods, is that they are keen on Jesus or God or something spiritual and bigger than themselves. So we're not going to sneer at people who aren't here. We can mock ourselves, but we're not going to laugh at people who are not here. We're certainly not going to allow Satan to define our terms for us either. What we're going to do is we're going to do what we do every week, is we're going to expose the lie with Scripture. Then we're going to look at why it is we believe it before looking at what harm it does to us when we believe it. I'd be much obliged if you'd turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I found if I asked politely, you're more inclined to do it. <laughs> I'm most grateful. It's the most encouraging noise, is the noise of, of a church turning to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So for Paul, those who are spiritual are often defined as a body. It's a very physical, very connected image of what it is to be a believer. Connected to God and connected to other believers, other people who are also connected to God, all incorporated within Christ and identified in Christ. He says in verse 13, we were given one spirit to drink, a, a saturating image. We are suffused with or, or overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and overwhelmed by the identity of the Holy Spirit who washes over us and fills us together. That is Paul's image of what it is to be spiritual. Not that we all become the same, though. This is not a call to become, you know, like the Borg from Star Trek. We're not assimilated and identical. There's not a Christian haircut. There's not Christian clothing. We are not clones of one another. What I love in, in our church is that we have people from a Catholic background alongside someone from a Baptist background. We have Presbyterians and Pentecostalists. Uh, four years ago, we were even joined by an Anglican. <laughs> we have ladies in pearls sitting next to a bloke in a cat t-shirt. It, 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 is, it is you, yeah. Um, we, we hired Josh 
uh, as part of a diversity drive, because you're the most diverse individual I've ever met. Um, if you think our church is mad, look at the Corinthian church. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. Outside of church, these groups hated each other. Some of them owned each other, and yet they became one in him. It's a, a remarkably transformative thing to be spiritual is to be a member of a body. Spiritual things are physical things, and we are, by God's design, intended to experience them together. It's no coincidence that we've seen a lot of increased violence and division in our land. Parallel riots of werewolves and wokery on opposite coasts, at the same time as we've just all gone off on our own somewhere to be spiritual but not religious. We're a broken body right now. Verse 14 continues, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Hands need feet. Eyes need ears. If we were just a huge hand, that was our whole body. Like that thing from, well, it was called Thing, wasn't it? From Adam's family. Yeah. The thing called Thing. If you were just a huge eyeball, like Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc., you'd be weirder than one of Josh's T-shirts. You'd be welcome. We'd love it. But you'd get some funny looks. Spirituality means being together. Religion describes what spiritual people do when they're spiritual. Their need for one another. We see a lot more of God when we are together than we do when we are alone. Especially, I think, when things are going wrong. And in 2012, the manager of my previous church, John, had a fall in his bathroom on vacation. Within two weeks, he was diagnosed with motor neurone disease and uh, ALS, as it's known here. Anyone familiar with that will have an understanding of what it was that John went through. Nothing like that period of time has revealed to me, though, what it is to be spiritual and religious. Nothing else has ever come quite close. The way the church behaved was just unbelievable. So we formed these two committees. The first cooked meals for a year and a half. The second took care of John in every way. So every single day, someone from the church came to change his clothes, or they came to feed him or move him. And near to the end of his life, uh, like me, he was very particular about the way his bed was made, and the pressure of the, the bedclothes would irritate his feet. And because he couldn't move, he couldn't sleep. So someone from the church, every night, came and slept on John's floor, and every hour just moved the covers off his feet so that he could sleep and so could his wife. And there was dark humor at this point. You know, when men get uncomfortable, we make dumb jokes. So I make them every week for a living now, but this is what we do. And and taking him to the bathroom and cleaning him afterwards and moving him on a hoist to be bathed was was embarrassing. And to take take away the sort of humiliation and the horror of what was going on, John would make jokes to us. And we would make jokes to him. and, And then we would laugh. And then, you know, when emotions are up and then, you know, they're near the surface, then we would cry. And we just wept together that our friend was, was suffering so much. Now, there are many secular organizations that do this sort of thing very well. 
There are other religions that do it as well. But what made this uniquely Christian, uniquely spiritual and religious, I would say, was Jesus Christ. John, in his suffering, exposited the scriptures. He preached to us. And he applied the scriptures in a way that I've never seen applied before or since. He talked about this gospel of grace through suffering. He talked to us about what it meant to be attached to God, what it meant to be a member of the body of Christ, what it meant to be identified with Jesus Christ, what it meant to worship a God who had had a body just like his and had now enthroned a body just like his in the throne room, to be part of a body that had died like his was about to, but had risen again, and what it meant to have the hope of the resurrection. And then he talked about the hope and the reality of being a member of our bodies. And he could see the reason why we were sleeping on his floor was because we viewed ourselves as part of him, that it was our body that was suffering too. The last thing John said before we wheeled him out of church, the last thing he said before losing the power of speech, was a one-word sermon in the, in the narthex, as we would call it. Hope. That's the word he said. So when I talk about being spiritual and I talk about being religious, I mean that. I do not mean essential oils or howling in the woods. I do not mean parading in and out of a special room to say formal prayers. I mean doing what Jesus did. That is spiritual, that is religious. You cannot do it on your own. So why do we believe the lie? Why do we believe this lie? I think it's attractive because it takes many of the things that are very good about the Christian faith, a sense of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What should I be doing? And where will I go? It takes that, that yearning for a deep connection to something bigger than ourselves that many of us feel, and it drops all sorts of things that are bad, like obscure rules and empty rituals that we don't really understand, judgments guilt, hypocrisy, as priests preach against the very things that they do when no one's looking. But far more than all of that bad stuff, I think the worst thing that the church has done to drive people away, literally sometimes into the woods, is to ditch the good news. That's the worst thing we've done. Many, many churches every day, they close not because some member of the church has done some catastrophically sinful thing or some terrible event has gone down, but just because they wobbled away and they gave up on the gospel. We have the wildest story, wildest historical story in the history of the human race, of a God who became flesh and suffered like us for us for my friend, to redeem these frail bodies that are falling to bits, to redeem us from sin and from death and from the grave, and he burst out of the grave and he rose again and he ascended. And we have this for us, to tell us of God's grace in redeeming us from the things we've done wrong. Concrete, physical stuff, the touch. And we've stopped talking about it. The strategy of ditching the gospel was designed to be inclusive. 
but there's no one here. They've all left. And I fear that as the world has gone off to become spiritual but not religious, the church has become religious but not spiritual. Simon Ponsonby, one of my favorite preachers, says that every time a church goes wrong, the first thing to go is the gospel. And then what you have left is empty religion. And that is the thing that I believe that 20% of Americans have left behind. Not Jesus. Empty religion. So I get it. I genuinely get the attraction of setting up your own church. But SBNR, spiritual but not religious people, they not only lose the love of others when they need it, they also lose the love of their leaders. So can we please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? As Paul addresses now the value of Christian leaders. I want to be really careful here, because it's a bit awkward, right? I am a Christian leader. I'm now talking about how good Christian leaders are. It's terrible, very unseemly. And uh, I just want to make it clear that I'm not contending for any status of my own. I'm not seeking any thanks. And uh, I'm not pretending to be anything other than just a part of this body. But there is value to what my part does. And I think sometimes one of the reactions to all of this empty religion is to denigrate the, the, the work of a pastor. We play down the value of religious leaders because a lot of us have been hurt by them. But that hurts us even more. Let's see what God says. 1 Thessalonians 5 something. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. So it's a very humble view of what it is I do. I should give you the verse. I just didn't put it in my notes. Thank you, Robert. 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Very, very humble vision of my job. Labor means grunt work. And who are over you, quite a high view of what it is I do. Over means superintend. But then he says, in the Lord, bringing it back down again, or at least contextualizing it. It's not my own strength, my own power, my own people smarts. It's just by grace in Christ that I have this job right now. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The implication being that people were getting a bit exasperated with their religious leaders. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell them to give them some esteem. I find that SBNRs very commonly have been hurt by priests. On the rare occasions where I wear my collar in the streets, if I've been to a hospital or something, it's not uncommon for me to be sworn at or spat at or even accused of very serious crimes. People do not like R because they do not like P. That's what I've discovered. I would say, though, that suddenly people become an awful lot more R in the last week of their lives. We reject our leaders for much of our lives because of things that some leader has done. But when we run out of days, we call them back in again. And this is a privilege. It is not a complaint. I will never tire of going to minister in situations like that. But every single time I go to someone in their last day or two who's been absent from the body for so long, it just grieves me that I couldn't have known them a few years earlier. It says here that my job, it said just that my job descriptions in this book, 
My job is to admonish, encourage, and help. That means warn, soothe, and hold. There's one slightly harsh image, two much more gentle words alongside it. And as I think about this idea of warning, soothing, and holding, especially the soothing and holding bit, I just think about my friend John. We didn't wait until the last day, but actually spent 18 months surrounded by pastors, about 100 of them. Three had a plastic collar like mine, but 97 did not, all soothing and all holding that man. If you are feeling alone in your faith, I commend you to get some leaders too. And I want to warn you as well, that is my job, I want to warn you, SBNRs think that they worship alone and that they lead themselves, but that's only what Satan wants you to think. You know who else is spiritual but not religious? Satan. When you think you're alone, he is your church. When you think you're in charge, he is your priest. And from there, his aim is to become your God. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I love the church in all of its brokenness and strangeness. And I just love this image of of spirituality and religion being about being connected to one another in Christ. An identity that overwhelms our sin, an identity that overwhelms all of the things that divide us. And I just pray, Father God, for a new outflowing of the Holy Spirit. I pray, perhaps, God, that the the fruit of of the pandemic and the fruit of, of political division in our land would be church is growing. So God, as you bring people in to our church, I just pray that you find us ready with, with nothing but the good news, just ready with the gospel, ready to love, ready to point to Jesus. You've done so much for us, God, and in your grace, given us a word that soothes and heals like no other. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.